0: there, right, we shared. go. We're good. Welcome, welcome to another fabulous, fantastic episode of My Orgasmic Life. I'm your hostess with the mostess, Gaia Morissette, and today I have I have a return guest who is so lovely. I always enjoy spending time with her. Um, I'm going to allow herself to. I'm going to allow her to introduce herself. Um, so tell us who you are, what you do in the world.
1: Take it away. My name is Janelle Marie Pierce. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I'm the executive director of the STI project, an STI positive sexual health educator, and an adjunct professor. I've been doing this for the last nine years. I specialize in the niche of STIs and storytelling, reclaiming the narrative for folks who have an STI, as well as we talk about like prevention and clinical resources and things like that. So an all-around resource about STIs and for folks with STIs. And yeah, that's now what I do full-time, every day, all day long, nothing but STIs, STDs, sexually transmitted infections and or sexually transmitted diseases. We use them interchangeably on the STI project.
0: Beautiful. And today we're going to talk about our own adventures of STIs and STDs. Um, so would you like to go first? Or you want me to go first? I'd like you to go first. All right. Usually, all right, here we go. So very, this is very rare. I haven't spoken about this. I was thinking about this this morning about like, what do I want to share? And, and I realized this is one thing that I don't, I've talked a lot about my life, but I've not really talked much about this particular aspect of it. So when I was a teenager being sexually active at the age of 14, back then, um, you know, they, there was no really, like you only use protection if it was to prevent pregnancy. You know, it was like the beginning of kind of the AIDS movement. And we were still like all trying to get into what that meant and all that kind of stuff. So it was very common to not be using protection, not be using condoms. So, I end up getting chlamydia. And um, I don't know I have chlamydia because it doesn't present. For me, it doesn't present. And um, I happened to be cheating on my boyfriend at the time who um, it turns out that he got chlamydia from me and it presented for him. So he went to the doctors and then I was the only person he was having sex with. So then it turned into a whole big drama of not just about me having you know chlamydia and giving him chlamydia but now it turned into how did i get chlamydia and then that i was cheating on him so i wasn't he's what to say he was like he was more, he was double angry. And then there was shame. And then there was all this guilt about one being caught that I betrayed him and cheated on him to the shame around having an STD and no one talked about it. And the doctors didn't talk about it. And I was, you know, then I had to go to the clinic and then you go to the clinic and the clinic. And back then there was like no sensitivity to that stuff. Right. So you're in the clinic and they're like, so who have you ever been, who have you been sexually active with? We need to know their names and their contact info and we're going to call them and so it was like it's like felt like you're in the you're getting in trouble and your parents are going to get called but there's like so much shame like there was this just this judgment and the shame that goes along within that moment of like oh my god first of all they're telling you you're a whore and you're a slut because you've had sex with more than one person and then we're going to tell all the people that you had sex with that you weren't just had sex with them, but you had sex with all of these other people and that you're the one that is the the cause of this epidemic that's happening. And so it was it's I, I finding it actually quite interesting in the 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 feeling of it in relation to what's happening with our pandemic of COVID right now, it's like that same kind of shame of like, you are the one that has it and then you spread it and shame on you for the one that would spread it as if you did it with intent. And there's all this stuff that's attached to that. So, yeah, so that, so then I had to get, and I lived in a small Northern Ontario town. So now everybody knew I got chlamydia. I still don't know who I got. I mean, I, you know, I had cheated a couple times, so there's a couple of people. I'm not sure who the source was, but it doesn't really matter who the source was, right? I, as the woman in this scenario, I was the source and it was my fault. So then I get, I, I take the antibiotics. I live the shame. Everybody now in the whole community is treating me like I'm a whore and I'm this horrible sexual slut. Um, and then a couple years go by and I don't think I actually really got rid of, like, they didn't retest me. They didn't retest me to make sure that I didn't get, the, that I had gotten rid of the chlamydia. I just took my antibiotics and that was the end of it. And everybody in town gave me the scarlet letter and um, that was the end of it. And a couple of years later, I end up in the hospital and it turns out with pelvic inflammatory disease. So I suspect I probably never got rid of it and it was still in my system and it manifested into that. So as the clinical person, do you want to like explain how that transpires?
1: Yeah, for sure. Oh my gosh, there's so much greatness in this story. Like so many. So I'll answer that question first, rather than going backward and then forgetting what you just asked me to do. But (laughs) there's so many things I want to ask you and like tease out and it's just wonderful. And um, yeah, so it's very common for bacterial infections. Chlamydia is a common bacterial infection. Gonorrhea is another that people are really familiar with and um, the clap gonorrhea. (laughs) Um, there are all these cute little slang terms and it's, it's, it's your experience of not having any symptoms. Um, Gaia just said that it didn't present. And what you meant by that is that you didn't have any signs or symptoms. You had no idea. That's the most common sign or symptom of all STIs. So most people who have an STI are totally unaware. They think that they're going to have like horrible smelling discharge or giant blisters and there's all these, this misinformation and Mm malassumptions around what that might look like for someone. And so it's really common to have this infection, have it for a long time and for a very long time. And the, the problem is, especially with something like chlamydia, it's curable. It's super, it's easily, easily treatable with antibiotics. But if you don't take the full amount of antibiotics, Um, If you have a slightly antibiotic resistant strain, chlamydia is not commonly known as having antibiotic resistant strains. Gonorrhea has started to have some antibiotic resistant strains and or you're still engaging it in activities or you hook up with somebody who has it, you can get it again. So you may have even cleared it, taken your antibiotics and then hooked up with somebody a week later, two weeks later, whatever, and then gotten it again. And you can re-get it over and over and over again. And an untreated bacterial infection can turn into, for someone who has um, a vulva and a uterus or a vulva vagina uterus, and what would be traditionally thought of as female reproductive parts, but that kind of reproductive, those reproductive parts, those reproductive organs, it can turn into pelvic inflammatory disease, which is pelvic inflammatory disease is most commonly caused by an untreated STI. A pelvic inflammatory disease can cause long-term irreversible pain, infertility. 15% of all infertility cases are a result of an untreated STI. So something that's totally preventable and people aren't aware that they even have these infections to begin with because they assume they're going to know, et cetera. So, yeah, it's not unusual. Your story is super common. And um, I don't know if you want to share what ended up happening with a pelvic inflammatory disease or with the PID or PID for short, your diagnosis. And did you have any if you had any like kind of long term, any pain or any anything follow up that um that you noticed as a result of that. Now, pelvic inflammatory disease doesn't always turn into like irreversible infertility or pain, things that um, cannot be treated, but it can. So, you know, Gaia is gonna share that or what, yeah. you, what you're comfortable sharing, of course.
0: But yeah, that's fine. Um, so I ended up in the hospital. I was in the hospital for seven days. Um, they had me on heavy doses of different antibiotics and fluids. Um, I did, a, I was vomiting a lot. I was in excruciating pain. That's what landed me in the hospital. Um, that I was on an antibiotic that I ended up having allergic reaction to. Um, so yeah, so that's basically what ended up happening. But the thing is, is that I've had since then, I've had incredibly painful periods and I've had incredible like you know cramping when I have my periods and and you know uh, cysts in my ovaries that rupture every once in a while so who knows like who knows what if that affected any of the other things I don't know like you know it's all in the same region and you know let's be honest they're not really Mm -hmm. good at like you know doing research around uh, you know reproduction of you know of female reproduction so of those pieces so who knows (laughs) why and how and And it could be it
1: could be related it could be unrelated but it very well could and it's one of those things where you just don't know and um you know so you move forward with that I love though so to move backward yes through the story a little bit I love the energy and the way in which you're telling it and just a matter of fact this is a story just like you would talk about going to the grocery store and ordering and 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 not finding what you were looking for a certain specific kind of cheese I mean it's so I get this often from people who say like how you talk about having herpes and how you talk about like living with it and having sex with it and all of these things you say it and you're so nonplussed you're so apathetic and it's just a part of who you are your experience one component one small component not necessarily your identity and people want to get to that place which it takes a lot of work and you've been doing this work for years so you're at that place where you feel really comfortable and you understand your worth and value and as it relates to your sexuality etc but it's so so refreshing because that's really how we should be talking about STIs and our experiences with STIs and whether or not we've contracted or whether or not we're preventing and what we need to do. All of these things, like it should be just this non plus matter of fact, like, let's have this discussion. Let me tell this story within stripping away all of this shame. Like I would love to be able to hindsight, of course, is always 2020, 20, but to go back into that room where there were like, you know, how many people have, have you had sex with? Like, who haven't I had sex with? <laughs> who haven't I engaged in activities with? Like, just to be flippant. I'm not witty like that naturally, mm. but oh man, I always think of like the best retorts And and, and I was the same at that age it was like, I mean, mortified and absolutely super embarrassed. And I was, I was taking on the shame they were projecting. I felt like I was deserving of it. And so all of that. And I would love to just be able to be, and be the advocate I am now and be able to be like, I don't know, tons of people. Like that's kind Come of on. irrelevant. Like <laughs>
0: yeah. whoever and I, I want to have sex with. <laughs> yeah. Like who have you had sex with lately? Have you not had sex with anybody lately? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Um, I feel like, and it's, I mean, it's, it's beautiful that, you know, I can talk about that story, looking back throughout time, um, and use the language like I felt like shame, and I felt this and these were the feelings that were happening without feeling those feelings, because I've healed those feelings. And I think that's the key piece of that is that I don't carry the shame of getting chlamydia. I don't carry that shame because it is just what it is. And it was circumstances as the circumstances were and, and, you know, um, And I feel like it's actually a great story. Like I had cheated a couple of times and then that's how
1: I ended up finding out (laughs) because my boyfriend got it and like, oh shit, (laughs) it's a good story. Like relationships and human sexuality is so juicy and like, it's so interesting. Like, oh man, like, yay! like, yeah. Tell me about all the juicy details. Like I want to hear the gossip. I mean, it's great, but in a, in a positive way, you know, not in a, oh girl, you should have known better. and. Yeah, and stuff like that. But you're so right, because for years, I couldn't even retell or talk about and a lot of people end up having this, especially when you have a long term infection that you have to disclose around people have the hardest time even saying like the word herpes or any other STI, they have the hardest time even saying it. And it resurfaces all of that trauma that they're still either not processing, or that just comes back to the surface, the medical trauma they've experienced, the trauma around peers and significant others and, and or abuse. I mean, the the myriad of things that occur often and co-occur with a diagnosis. And it's like, And it's understandable that folks feel this way and that they have that such a hard time even having a discussion around it and talking in a matter of fact way. And that's really the ultimate goal, but it does, it takes a lot of work and a lot of like healing and digging back into it and addressing, like, does this actually match and make sense? These these feelings with my lived experience, my real, my life here and how I want to continue my life.
0: And I find that the best way, especially, you know, in the world that I live in is all about helping people release shame. You know, that's the world that I live in. So, you know, I always, I think the key around releasing shame and letting go of shame is like, is this even mine? Like it, you know, that's always the question that I find that I help my clients ask and that I ask myself if I'm carrying any shame about something. It was like, is this my shame like is this really like at the core of me do I actually believe this or is this what other people have told me that I'm supposed to believe or is this what other people have told me that I'm supposed to feel or I'm supposed to think and often for me anyways it comes back as hell no Like, hell no, that's not yours. Like, you don't believe that you don't move from that place. You don't move from a place of fear and judgment and like, you know, self loathing. And like, that's not how I move in the world. So, so it becomes easier to release that shame. But that's the key ingredient that when I'm spending time with people is like, well, let's look at this shame, and the best and the easiest way to let go of it is that it was never yours in the first place. Like you didn't pop into this world as a child being like, "Oh, pleasure's bad, sex is bad, joy is bad, happiness is bad." You know, um, all these things being bad other people taught you they impose their stuff their fear their judgment their shame their experiences onto us and when we can release that and let go of that that that's not actually like untangle it as I like to say it that that's yours and this is mine it makes much easier to clear out ours when we're not holding everybody else's so sorry I got off on a little Mm -hmm. tangent there (laughs)
1: No, it's so good. Oh, but what you're saying is like, yes, yes, Queen, like it's so phenomenal. It absolutely 100%. And and that's how everyone has experienced a shame in their life. Everyone um, and different types of shame and and most people experience some component of sexual shame mm-hmm. what's interesting too about the difference between our overall shame and sexual shame is sexual shame has a component of disgust to it mm-hmm. and it triggers our disgust sensitivity and our disgust emotion which is one of the core emotions that historically I won't go into the long like explanation around the psychology of disgust but it served a purpose but in current modern, modern day culture, it doesn't typically, but we are seeing it like the parallels you talk about with COVID. We are yeah. seeing it resurface in a way that's really harmful and problematic and does not serve public health yeah. initiatives and does not actually help us. It hinders us because of this viewpoint. And it's so rooted in this disgust sensitivity, this sh- this shame around um, in, in one of the is uh, infectious shame or infectious disgust or um, infect- things that can infect us and diseases and things like that and so sexual shame though um, is its own like subset of shame in general and it's so hard to unlearn that and repackage it because it's rooted in a core emotion that gets triggered without us being able to even recognize that that's being triggered and that icky feeling though we're taught that something is gross or bad or wrong and that's where that comes from it we aren't like you said we aren't born thinking these things are bad necessarily now I think there's, we all have a barometer of what's right and wrong and like doing something that is going to cause harm. Like as a young, I think young children know if they've, if they hit someone and they hurt someone or if they're hurting feelings or if they're harming an animal or even picking a flower or something like that, that isn't theirs to pick. They, they, they have a barometer that's already built in. And the shame component, though, gets layered on top of this, like, right or wrong, was that a good choice? That's, the, that's where it's projected, and we are learned, or shame is learned. It becomes something that we're told we should feel shameful, we should feel wrong about this. And even those questions that you got asked around whom you'd had sex with, it's hard to discern. Sometimes they come from a place of they're actually logically looking to discern where where they might need to administer tests on your actual body. So the questions can feel very invasive. And um, like, have you had oral sex? Do you engage in anal sex? And people are like, whoa, like that's none of your business. And those questions actually come from a place of necessity because they may need to do a swab orally, they may need to do a swab anally and a urine test isn't going to capture all of those different locations. So there's actually a purpose, a healthcare purpose behind it that doesn't get disclosed or it doesn't, that context is not added and layered into that conversation. So it feels invasive because we don't normally talk. About these things, but then sometimes, though, too, and and more often than I would like to see, there is um, an element of shame that's being projected by the healthcare professional themselves. Like they're projecting their yeah. own stigmas,
0: and so and it's back, hard to and,
1: discern which is yeah. which.
0: And back then, like for me, back then, being asked explicit sexual questions was not a problem in my world like that was already a normal thing in my world so it wasn't the the asking of the question that was the production of producing of the shame it was the intention behind and the judgment with the thing going on right like there was like a a palatable judgment in the tone of things so all right so enough about me let's talk about you (laughs) but tell me tell me your story oh yeah so it's there's some
1: similarities there parallels which is not uh, not surprising is is definitely unsurprising to me anyways because i hear these stories so often and um i was also a teenager And oh, and this speaks to your initially, like you were on um, birth control or to prevent unplanned pregnancy. Insane. So when I first became sexually active, I was 16 years old, and I knew that an unplanned pregnancy. I, I was never the person like I happen to be pregnant right now. Yay. And, but I was, I actually am kind of even surprised about that. People I know are a little surprised about it too, because I wasn't the the person who daydreamed about their children and exactly what their family was, look, was going to look like. And I couldn't wait to have my own kids kind of thing. Like I didn't necessarily know um, how that might look and what that, how that would transpire over my lifetime. But so, especially I knew I didn't want to have a child young And at that point it was just the idea. Um, so I, I went to Planned Parenthood and got on birth control as soon as I became sexually active and thought like I'm being super responsible. And so then when I have all of a sudden blisters on my vulva, um, you know, it it was shocking. And so that's what ended up happening a little bit after I was sexually active. Like I was on birth control. I was on the pill. And I, I had, I started to feel really uncomfortable and I started to get blisters and they weren't going away and they were getting worse and they were spreading. And Mm so I finally told my mom um, and said, "I need you to look at this because I don't know what it is." And she took one look, and she didn't say what she thought it was. She thought it was herpes, but she was hoping for my sake that it wasn't. And so she scheduled an appointment that very day for me. And I don't think I went to school that no, that was in the middle. It was in the middle of summer. Never mind. So I didn't go to school. That's why we were able to schedule right then. And we went to our general practitioner. I grew up in a rural area. Uh, it was called Caledonia is the city, but we called it Cowadonia because there were at that point in time, there were more cows than people. And now that's that's switched because of urban sprawl. And so the sub- suburbs are getting super big around there and is re- are really populated and so much more is built up in that area. But anyways, um, and it was a conservative area of the state, West Michigan, as opposed to Eastern Michigan, West Michigan, it, it's a suburb right outside of Grand Rapids. And Grand Rapids is the second largest city in the state, but this was a suburb, and there were also more churches on the corner than pretty much any other type of establishment. And we went to church regularly, and so I had this kind of background, this purity culture, Um, everyone was white in the area, I mean very much a conservative and limited perspective kind of area, and so we went to my general practitioner and Um, and he took one look and then walked out of the room, didn't say anything, um, came back about five minutes later with a prescription for Valtrex, said, you have herpes. This is the worst case I've ever seen. And, and here's your prescription. And that was it. No further information. No, this is very common. No, you're having your first outbreak. So it's going to feel really bad and look really bad, but subsequent outbreaks won't be like this. You may never have another outbreak again, zero kind of information, zero empathy, not only, and and, and then that really did color and, and how I felt about it going forward. At that point in time, I felt like I was being condemned that mm-hmm. I was, um, this was a result of me having sex before marriage and because I couldn't save myself. And so this was my punishment by God. And um, I was a slut and dirty. And not only was I a slut and a dirty whore, but I was the dirtiest and sluttiest because if my doctor said this is the worst case he's ever seen, like not only do I have this taboo yeah. infection, I have the worst version of it ever, which is horrid, horrid, horrid medical bedside <laughs> manner. Of just, yes. I mean, it just that, but not only that, I mean, that, Him, maybe that was the biggest outbreak he had ever seen, but it was irrelevant and not necessary. And that was that piece of information was highly stigmatized in him projecting, um, you know, how he felt about the 16 year old coming in and having genital herpes. And so my mom sent me out to the car while she paid the bill and... Um, we had a van at the time, a red van. I remember that. I don't remember what I said, but she tells the story that I cried the entire way home and which was about a 15 to 20 minute drive from that little town to where we were out in the country. I grew up on like a small hobby farm with horses and sheep and things. And um, so uh, yeah, all I said the entire time was no one's ever going to love me again. What am I going to do? I'm no one's going to I'm never going to be able to get buried. I'm never going to have kids. I'm married and I'm pregnant right now. My husband doesn't have herpes. And um, at this point, I'm planning a vaginal birth, but we'll see what ends up happening. You can't really plan for these things. I mean, you can have hopes or expectations or you know, some, some sort of birth plan in mind, but then everything changes. Life happens while we're busy making plans. So yes. And so that was 16 years old. And after that, for years, like I was mired in and believed the stigma and shame about myself. I really, truly felt like I was damaged goods and total trash and et cetera. And, um, then in my twenties, I contracted HPV. And then I also contracted scabies. So two different other types of HPV is viral. Also herpes is viral. Scabies is parasitic. Scabies is fun. <laughs> it, it's fun to me in this sense. Now the story is actually kind of interesting around the scabies because I told everybody at work, cause I had no idea what it was. And I was an accountant at the time and worked in the accounting. We were all, we all sat next to each other in cubicles and things like that. And, um, my ex-husband had cheated, and again, though I didn't know um, what this what was going on, and I had these little bumps that were super itchy, and like these, and they and they're kind of like trails, and um, on my arms that I was noticing, and they were other places too. But I was like, because it was on my arms, I was showing my coworkers, like, "What do you think this is? You think this is poison ivy?" Like, and it wouldn't go away, and it'd been going on for a couple of weeks. It was spreading and scabies is a parasite it's a tiny little microscopic bug that burrows underneath the first few layers of your skin the bug itself it bothers your skin and causes itchiness as it travels through your skin it creates a path that you can usually see and that itches then it defecates in your skin and that bothers your skin and then it breeds and creates eggs and that bothers your skin too which is like oh, <laughs> there's where my disgust sensitivity comes in but it's curable you put a lotion on a couple of times wash your bedding and it goes away and it's even it's a lot easier to get rid of than like bed bugs and lice and stuff like that and pubic lice for other references but Anyway, so I told everybody at work, not thinking that this was another STI, I already have one, you know, and not thinking that I'm telling all these people, like, what do you think? And I'm showing them my arm, like, ew, (laughs) come check out my STIs, in hindsight, what I was doing and um and then I went to the doctor and and he took one look and was like oh yeah that's Gabby's here's your prescription it's no big deal it'll go away and like then of course I was pissed like oh hell no like I did you know because it started around my thighs but that didn't that it didn't equate and I didn't can like put the two together until I was told that it was an STI and For for my ex at the time, at that point in time, obviously wasn't my ex, but for my ex, same thing. He had it started on his thighs and wasn't going away. And I called him like livid. I think I sent some horrible text message. I don't even exactly remember if I called or texted him. I don't know. Anyways, but yeah, so that was that was kind of fun. The the component of telling them my coworkers, and then I ended up I I think I ended up not following up. And somebody did ask, and then I did say like. Yeah. And -and so-and-so cheated and this is what it is. But at that point I'm like, shoot, now everyone's going to want to know what I found out and how do I explain this? And I wasn't doing the STI project at that point in time. I wasn't public about having herpes. Mm -hmm. So I've had multiple STIs and for years and years, it was super hard for me as well as it is for so many others, Mm -hmm. but through a lot of similar kinds of work and digging and therapy and all these things Um, I realized that no that's not my shame to hold that that's other other people's perspective and what my sexuality needs to look like and what my life with my body is and um, so on and so forth and so I feel totally different about it now and into my late 20s I launched the STI project when I was 29 and now I'm 38 and so um, since then it's been it's been really cathartic like it's incredible even how much ongoing work that I'm still doing and that still occurred as a result of like having these discussions and Mm. hearing other stories. And it's like, even when I launched, I knew I wasn't alone. I knew that this was necessary, but it's, it's been, it's like even blew my mind more of like how much and how many people and how many shared stories. And Even the being shamed by medical practitioners, how common that is and Mm -hmm. um, not always disclosing ethically and how common that is. I mean, there's so much that I was like, wow, I really felt like this was just me and how isolating that is. And we get wrapped up in our small microcosm and our little mini worlds. And and because of the shame and the immense stigma that's associated with STIs and how how few people are talking about it. That's why that's able to perpetuate and that's why we're able to believe that we're just by ourselves and we are these pariahs or something like that. When it's like the vast majority of all sexually active people contract an STI, the vast, vast, vast majority. So it, it just is mind boggling and it's almost maddening. It's easy to get like angry about it because then when you start to realize how common this is, how much this should not be, it's, it's not ideal. Nobody wants a new infection. I don't want COVID. I don't want a cold I don't want anything, you know, as you've seen me, I've blown my nose. I think I might have the sniffles like pregnancy has made my whole mucus and sinuses and everything all out of whack. So it could just be that it's hard to say. Yeah. But either way, it's like, I don't love that either. I don't want, we don't want anything that afflicts us, any maladies, any, any body issues, but our bodies are resilient, but not infallible. I say that a lot, but it's so true. Like they're beautiful and fascinating, but we're susceptible to things too. And these things happen. And so why can't we like address them in a practical and thoughtful and empathetic and inclusive way? Like, uh, anyway, there's, there's the hill that I'm going to die on for sure. (laughs)
0: I want to thank you for not only sharing today your story, but also the work that you're doing in the world. It's so incredibly powerful and important. And how can people get become a part of engage with you is there ways in which they can support this project like what how can people get involved in helping us all move into getting to that place of being like all right so yeah that was a thing and we can tell it like we went to the grocery store
1: yes yes um thank you for asking and for that encouragement and support because i do receive negative feedback but way less than you'd expect I get every once in a while I get some hate and it's always the same stuff it's regurgitated it's the things I've heard for years and years and so I'm you know I'm able to I'm able to compartmentalize it and to see it for what it is and understand where it's coming from. And so it doesn't impact me like it impacts others who have this same experience and might also experience that kind of feedback. But that said, um, there's a couple of different ways. The stiproject.com online is my website, but then I'm on all social media channels at the STI project. So come and follow me, thumbs, like what you see, comment engagement is always beneficial in terms of social reach because then more people see the resources and they are able to access them. Um, If you would like additional support and resources I offer one on one consultations for a cost and then I also teach a, a 60 day eight-week um, masterclass that's self-led and also fully supported. And then I have a medical network that helps substantiate all of the content that's, um, that that's comprised of, but that's also for a cost. But I have tons of free resources. So depending on what your accessibility, what your personal resources are, there's something for everyone. And yeah, come and find me and, um, and tell me your story and share. It's a safe space. Beautiful, And I make sure of that, I guess I should add that I delete anything that isn't supportive. So um, not everybody does that and, and everyone has different kind of comment moderation policies and things like that. But because of the nature of what I do and wanting to make sure I'm cultivating a place um, that is open and people can share in a, in a space that is not debated and is not um, questioned, I, I actually get rid of things that are not supportive. So without without even a thought in mind it's like nope delete that that was not helpful and didn't add to the conversation so that's my way in which to moderate and help continue to cultivate a space that is inclusive and supportive
0: I love it I also do that I am I'm a firm believer in if that was not positive we are not the rest of the world then you see it delete and block Yep. (laughs) (laughs) yep it's so cathartic. It's
1: really lovely. It's freaking. It you
0: know, this is. Yeah. We don't have to. We don't have to be in a space when we can create our own spaces of safety and non-judgmental spaces. Um, it's a beautiful place in which we say no. It's we say no to negativity. We say no to disrespect. We say no. We get to set the parameters, the boundaries, and it's a beautiful way. I feel like that helps to mirror for other people what that looks like. So. All right, Definitely. you and I could talk for days and days and days and days and days. Um, so obviously I'm going to have you back on the show because there's some stuff that I would think I would really like to talk about Like next time. like How do you have the STI, STD conversation in from a dating and relationship perspective? Um, I think that that would be a really beautiful conversation. Um, I also would really love to have a conversation with Um, having herpes and being pregnant and how that affects the pregnancy and birthing and all the kind of things. Um, A whole bunch of people recently, surprisingly, have asked me those questions. I'm like, I don't know. So (laughs) I think that there's, that would be also a really great conversation to have. Um, So are you game? Yeah, 100%. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. Of course. Beautiful. Okay, so my lovely audience who have been listening, Couple different things. I got so excited about our conversation that I forgot to do in the beginning of the show. <laughs> so, <laughs> when this episode was brought to you by and sponsored with Tickle Dot Life. Second, um, tip your hostess go join my Patreon. Patreon will help to support the overhead costs of this show. It's also about healthy consumption. <laughs> I show up for you, show up for me, all right? And um, I now have launched all these fabulous new websites. Um, And you can now go to one-stop shopping at my hub to see all the zillion things of how I show up in the world. So you can go to GaiaMorrisette.com. Don't forget to check out and follow and enjoy My Orgasmic Life, which is this podcast, and I also host Tickle.Live's podcast. So please go check out Tickle.Live's podcast. Have a juicy day. May it be filled with liberation and freedom and release of all shame. Mwah! Thanks for being with us.